Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is supported by SafeBand. SafeBand is the indigo silicon wristband that lets people know that you, or a member of your family, has been vaccinated to protect them from COVID-19. And with every SafeBand that's ordered by you, or people like you, we donate one to a frontline key worker or vulnerable member of the community. Slowly, life will return to how it once was. Until then, we're determined to get things back to normal for those who've taken the first step. Find out more by clicking the link in the description or visiting safeband.me. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hello, Fergus. Hello, Paul. Hi guys, how are you going? How are you doing? How are you, how are you going, guys? <laughs> yeah, no, not too bad. You know, just started with how are you going. I've never said how are you going. Um, it's a good it, look. It's been quite a tense lead up to this podcast, hasn't it? Because Paul, you were having uh, technical issues, big time, and uh, my, I was having uh, family issues because my son didn't want to go to sleep. Only literally five minutes ago, I was singing A, B, C, D, E, F, Poo, H, I, J. That was the only way to agree to go to sleep, as if I sang him the ABCs with uh, certain letters replaced with poo. Wow. It worked. Yeah. That's five minutes ago. He's fast asleep. I think I a better way of getting to sleep at the minute is watching any Newcastle United game. Am I right? Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks. We've trampled, I mean, that leads us straight into the football. We've trampled over what I think Dave was about to tell us in Sorry, Dave. Is it is no. it good enough? No, no. 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 All right. No, no, fine. Something I mean, else. I'm immune. Some... Okay, fine. fine. Something else that isn't good enough, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Newcastle United Football Club. Right, as things stand uh, since the last podcast, we, after the last podcast, we had had a very disappointing result against... West Brom. West Brom. West Brom, that felt like a must-win game. If not must-win, then you're sort of wondering if we're not going to beat West Brom at home, where are we going to get the points? And then uh, we played Villa on Friday night. Uh, How did you feel that game went, Dave? Well, I think, given the context of the, the, the personnel available and given the context of the game and how it played out, I actually think a point was a decent result. Like... It was 1-1's a better result than nil-nil would have been, if that makes sense, because neither team played particularly well. Neither team created anything consistently well. Um, it was a bit of a war of attrition, really. 
But we had some good performances in there. I thought Dummett played well. I thought Hayden and Willett were okay. I thought Joe Linton was not good in an attacking sense, but he, he put in a good shift and he was useful, which hasn't always been the case. And for us to go down to... I mean, it was really their only big chance that that ended up in a goal and it was an own goal. So there's an element of good fortune on their part. But for us to drag ourselves back in to, to snatch a point, I think I think it's a good, in the context of everything else, I think it was a good like final result. Uh, I don't know where this podcast is going to go now because a, a, a major dynamic has changed. It feels like ever since we've really, really got into relegation trouble, ever since we've gone into this... Uh, terrible run of form that we're on I mean you can call the whole season that but you know we haven't won in a long time to be fair we haven't lost in three games um, but Dave we can usually rely on you to be the voice of uh, hysterical Newcastle fans <laughs> well I think I think with an unrelenting spring of negativity. Yeah. I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you. Had we um had we played as badly as we did in the West Brom game against Villa, I would be upset. And had we lost the game in any shape or form, I would have been upset. But to be honest, like we didn't have Almiron, we didn't have Anson Maxwell, we didn't have Callum Wilson. Um, I was a little bit annoyed about the selection. Um, but speaking the, speaking of the selection, yeah, uh, go on. Paul uh, Dwight Gale got a start. Yeah, in his a position, I think we were all expecting him to start in left wing. Left wing. <laughs> Yes, I, I think, can I say, inject negativity in return? I think there were some positives. The fact that when we went a goal down, we actually looked capable of scoring. We made a go of it. And Dummett did play well. But that system, we said, wouldn't work with those players. It's bad enough picking a system that you don't have the personnel for. But then playing so many players out of position. Gale on the left wing... We had uh, Ryan Fraser as a false nine, who is one of the best crossers of the ball, certainly the best crosser at the ball we've got in our team. You just said, how do you get that so fundamentally wrong? I thought Hayden had a pretty poor game. I think there's a weird... I don't know why he's not playing at the base of our midfield. We've got Shelby playing basically as a third centre-back. We've got Hayden, who anytime he gets like near their box, gets a nosebleed, doesn't know what to do. Willock was okay. But you just think Villa looked really poor. They didn't have Grealish. And I don't feel like Bruce or the team seem to realise how in danger of relegation we are. Because the West Brom game and the Villa game are probably our most winnable games apart from Sheffield United. And they were... I mean, any they was there for the taking, but they really were, and we just didn't. It was baffling. I'm inclined to agree with both of you in different ways. Hayden did have not a great game; that uh, seemed to give the ball away quite a lot. Definitely, the most inexplicable, possibly the most inexplicable decision of the season was to give Gale a start and put him out on the left. I'd, I, I. Dave's got something to say about that. He's about to pull out a list of inexplicable decisions. <laughs> <laughs> no, all I was going to say is that I don't, I think there has been a lot of focus on um, where Gale and Joe Linton were playing and, and Fraser, but I don't think Fraser was playing as the false nine. I think actually it was set up as almost split strikers with Gale further yeah, to the left. And just, yeah, I know, but this is a, you call it's called split strikers. This is what Bruce keeps on doing, but like fundamentals keeps on saying. But fundamentally, just because they've got the word striker in their name, if if they you put them on the pitch, and Gale is out on the left and clearly does not feel comfortable there. I don't mm. have. I personally, I don't have a big issue with the formation. 
would it be exactly the right formation for the players that we have? I don't know, but I think ever since we've been playing this formation, it's not like things have been anywhere close to good, but there's been a bit more dynamism and and it, it's felt like we've got a bit more going on on the pitch going forward. And um, But uh, yes, players aren't in the ideal positions. I could... I completely agree with the case that Fraser is a good crosser of the ball and that's not what you want him. But my, I'm guessing the logic behind Fraser playing there is that he's quite rapid and can sort of like ha- harry, is that the word? Is that the word, harry? He can sort I of like harry around players in the way that Almiron does. I think it's a um, bit more stupid than that. I think they've just gone, Almiron works in that position and he's fast. Fraser's fast. Let's put him in there. Well, that's yeah, what... I, I, I think that is what they thought. But I think that I can see the logic behind that. And Fraser does sort of like scamper around players in that armour where he can do that. It's not, uh, none of this is ideal. There are no ideal scenarios. And I know you desperately want 4 2 3 1 as a formation. But like, we've played a lot of formations. And every time we change things, things go wrong. I feel like, Basically, for me, the most inexplicable thing is putting Gale out on the left, but just because, I mean, they realised at half-time that it didn't work anyway yeah. because they switched them. But, but even would've... when they switched Gale to the middle, he was still, like, he'd still be at the edge of our penalty area at some moves. He needs to be up as a lone striker or up with someone like Andy Carroll. Hmm. These are not difficult things to get right I don't think the formation is totally to blame but I think the formation is getting a lot of credit for we changed formation at the time we started attacking more and pressing we weren't pressing because of the formation we were pressing because we were playing a more attacking style and I think we could do that in several other formations you can do that with five at the back but we whenever Mm. we played five at the back this season we chose to just park the bus Maybe you might be totally right, but you know I, I feel like the two are linked. But yeah, I don't think that, that, that you know there's no reason that changing the formation might not make things better. But I don't think there are any like magic solutions. My well, big playing, thing, my huge, my huge thing, my my huge huge thing is one putting Gale out on the left didn't work, and if you're putting Gale out on the left, what you're the player that you're not putting out on the left is Jacob Murphy, yeah. who as soon as, and I know he could have played it right back as well, but as soon as he came on, when this went, once we were down uh, a goal, I mean, when did he get, he only came he, on with about 10 minutes to go, right? He hit the bar before their goal as well. Oh, it was a sweet hit strike yeah. as well. But as soon as he came on, he, did what he's done all season. When he gets any minutes, he suddenly makes things happen. And to be honest, that strike where he hit the bar, he deserves a lot of credit for making it happen. But I mean, I think it looked good, but I think he should have put it away actually. Yeah. Where it was. But I think it's very apt. Hang on. I think it's very apt that we're talking about on on St. Patrick's Day, uh, a Murphy hitting the bar. I think that's 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 for Appersite. Oh, fantastic. That's just fantastic, Dave. I love it. Love this stuff. Absolutely love that. Give me the cheers. I'm going to tip my Guinness hat to that joke. I am actually genuinely drinking a pint of Guinness from a can. Is there anything cooler? I think as well. The problem is, Joel Linton sort of had a good game, but there's no point an attacking player like him having a good game if he can't shoot or pass when he gets anywhere near their goal. It's, it's almost trolling watching him play. But I, think I would what much he rather did, have what he did do, start instead of him. What he did do is relieve a lot of the pressure, and he was very good at... Um, not holding the ball up in a traditional target man sense, but but receiving the ball under pressure, and he he did find players not with an assist or a key pass or a through ball or something like that. But he just he he relieved some of that pressure and allowed us to turn a defence into attack. I think Joe Joe Linton, in a weird way, is is on is 
I mean, this says a lot, but I, I think he's on his best period of form that he's been on yeah. with the club. Right? He does a lot of, every game, he does a lot of good things that show you why, not why he's a £40 million player, but show you why he, like a Premier League club, decided to put him in their squad, right? It shows you that he has some abilities. But he is possibly the biggest villain in the the thing that we keep on doing in recent games is we keep on doing some reasonably good things, particularly in the first third of games, where we managed to get ourselves into the final third and create opportunities to create opportunities. This is what yeah. I keep, we keep we get into moments where we're like three against three or whatever, and we should make something happen. And everyone, but particularly Joe Linton, like you say, can never quite get that final pass, never have the bollocks to shoot when he should be shooting, can can never get it right. And and somebody up there has to be doing that. And we're in a really bad situation in terms of injuries. But please, Jacob Murphy. <laughs> I think if he hadn't cost £40 million, then Murphy, Ritchie, Atsu, even Elliot would get in ahead of him. Elliot Anderson. Even Rob Elliot, actually, <laughs> even though he doesn't play for us. <laughs> I think like Joel Linton definitely had one of his better games for us on Friday. But it's also a mm. performance any attacker should be really disappointed with. If we had brought Joe Linton in, in a Daryl Murphy style deal from Ipswich. Yeah. Then he might be quite liked by fans. Yeah. That's about the level he is, right? Yeah. He's sort of Daryl Murphy. Well, sort of Obertan as well, in terms of like one good thing every few games, but. Well, Obertan was quite hated by fans, wasn't it? So, so is Joel Linton, to be fair. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying um, but yeah, it's, it is very frustrating. And I do agree that it does feel like um, the management, at least publicly, are, are not showing any awareness of the the situation of how no, we feel we feel very reactive both mm. like in planning for games and in games like we only really have a go at villa when we're one nil down yeah and they look... and, and if you if you stack them up if you look at the west brom game the sheffield united game those were um opportunities to get well, I, w- I would say, like, certainly the Sheffield and the West Brom game were opportunities to get six points. If we were six points better off now, I don't think we'd be part of the relegation conversation. No, but we're now favourites to go down out of us, Fulham and Brighton. Brighton, which I don't really get because we have more points than Brighton. And I think that... I think it might Brighton. be to do with form, Dave. <laughs> but then Brighton aren't in great form. Brighton aren't. I mean, I know they beat Southampton, um, and we can talk about the Brighton game in, in more depth after the break or anything, but like they beat Southampton, and now people are saying, oh, well, they're in... But Southampton are in absolutely turgid form. They've won one in 12, and that one was against Sheffield United. So beating Southampton... It's not a sign of like suddenly Brighton have have got it worked out and they're going to go on and and, and go on a run. It it's Southampton like even we beat fucking Southampton. That's how bad Southampton are. Like that's how bad the form is for Southampton at the minute. So I know that the the um, the percentage chance of staying up um, as worked out by like um, five thirty eight and all the rest of them. It's based on performance metrics like XG, like shots on target, goals conceded and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, aside from the Southampton game, Brighton have really struggled to put the ball in the back of the net and they've got us next. But after us, they've they've got a run of pretty difficult games. They're not, you know, it's... Dave, who are are you? (laughs) 
if we beat Brighton, genuinely, if we beat Brighton, I would expect those um, those percentages to flip. I, I yeah, I mean it, that would be an enormous. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not just five thirty eight; it's the bookies as well have us favourites to go down out of those three, considering Fulham are below us and we have a game in hand over them. That mm. feels like. But the, I mean, I'd, I'd take less of an interest in what the bookies are, are um, putting as favourites or not, because they're as likely to um, reflect what the market is is doing. Like, loads of people will put money on Newcastle to be to go down, and I think not. I don't will... think the relegation markets attract enough money for it to change the book. I think this sort of stage I think every season. every market. No, they they balance it off what people bet, but it's not like everyone's going to be lumping money on it. It will be broadly worked out based on whatever metrics they use. It takes a lot of money being lumped on things for them to start changing the odds that much. Whatever's going to happen, we're going to we're going to find out. Yeah, uh, over the course of the next few weeks, who knows? But I am stunned beyond belief by. The turnaround in um, Dave's attitude. I just want it's, to know. It's I just want to, want to know. Are you using a new moisturizer? What's going on? Have you started? Have you changed your diet? What? I mean, I, I, are you, are you having consistent. an affair, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I've been consistent throughout the the at the beginning of the season. I was bitching about the performances and saying that they're terrible and we need to improve the performances or we'll be in real trouble. And for all, West Brom was disappointing. We were defensively fairly solid. We weren't at the beginning of the season. Against Aston Villa, again, not great, but much better than the the start of the season. I still think Newcastle United, certainly with the the prospect of the the big three players coming back to fitness, um, Callum Wilson's back in training. There's reports that Almiron's closer to return than, than expected. If these, if we can get them back into the into the team fairly soon, like maybe the Spurs game, which is after the international break, I think we're a much better outfit than we were prior to the Leeds game. <coughs> Jones. Okay. Um, well, let's uh, let's have a break, and then after the break, uh, we'll go to social media. I'm sure we will continue. On our relegation prospects, I'm sure we'll talk about the upcoming Brighton game and uh, I'm sure we'll have a word about Glenn Roder as well, who passed away since the last part. So um, let's have a break. Bye. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct... Something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Newcastle Nuts. Um, before we go on, I, I think we should talk a little bit about Glenn Roder because he seems, he, he did pass away sadly in the last week the age of 65 and I feel like sometimes he's forgotten about in terms of Newcastle and he was a fairly big deal I know none of us saw him play or at least probably don't remember him playing he did play nearly 200 times for us in the 80s and he was captain of the club and played with Gaza and and Waddle I think and uh, I'm, I know Paul Gascoigne talked about him a lot. 
in his autobiography, which I read. And uh, and then he ended up managing it, managing us for a season, and did he did pretty well. It was it was never yeah. looked on as a at the time it didn't feel good. I know when he we, when he first took over. He got us to seventh. He took over as caretaker manager and got us to seventh, and that was considered good. But then the next season, we finished mid-table, but because we were a different club back then, it was considered bad. But I think he was always pretty well-liked. I think um, the form in that first season, when between him taking over and the end of that season, we were in unbelievable form. I can't remember. Who did he take over from? Who was... Sacked. Now Sunas, wasn't it? I was going to say, yeah. Did he come straight after Sunas? And I think around that time we had quite a lot of problems with our squad. Yeah, we had a pretty toxic dressing room, and we had no money. A dodgy dressing room with a lot of sort of baggage, players on big contracts who weren't great influences, and. and he was sort of came in as a nice guy and probably didn't have the clout to get rid of players. And that's probably what Allardyce was, because Allardyce took over and I think he was brought in to do that, or at least he had the clout to, because I remember as soon as Allardyce came in, that's when players like Bramble and stuff were all off. We suddenly shed about 10 players from the squad. But um, yeah, I mean... I mean, the thing the thing that sticks in my mind about Glenn Roder is not actually anything that he did for us. It was when Gaza went abroad, um, Roder went with him to to like help him settle in and help him almost be like a minder and stuff. And like it speaks to the character of the man that like that Gascoigne still speaks so highly of him. Um, I think that every time I saw him interviewed before and after managing us, he always came across as a really, really good, to use a cliche, a really good football man. And like you say, that those that season and a bit, well, just on, uh, however long he was managing for us, like officially, I think he had, he comported himself really well. And yeah, we played some good stuff under Rhoda and it didn't work out, but the the way that he played as as a centre back, um, I've seen people describe him as ahead of his time. You know, he was he was comfortable on the ball. He was he was classy, in, as as, as they describe they, it back then. That's what they say, isn't it? But just, I just thought we should have a word about him. And I thought that I think he's you've got managers just from the outside as a fan without knowing the actual people all that much about tactics. You've got. Uh, if you put managers into different categories, he is in the mould of, I put him in the same category as Chris Hewton, someone who was very nice and didn't talk that big a game about himself. And if he had a bigger ego on him, might have had a more successful career as a manager. But Yeah, he gets talked about far less than sort of Allardyce or Kinnear or Souness as managers for us. Which is he does go missing just because he was in the middle of such a chaotic period. But I would I would take the level of failure we had under Glenn Roder over the level of success we've had over all our recent managers. Absolutely. Like he probably mid, had mid a better squad failure. to work Yeah, he probably had a better squad to work with, but I, I don't think he did a bad job and he also did it all with dignity and all of that. So um just thought I'd say a word about him. So, uh, shall I go in on social media now before um, yeah. we'll Brighton? Uh, I haven't prepared this, but here we shocker. But uh, here we go. Let me go straight in and um, just hope that I don't accidentally uh, read out any far far right ideology. Um, uh, here we go. Uh, we'll start with uh, uh, this one is from Matthew Lawson. He says. Where do you think we'll finish in the championship next season if the management isn't addressed in time? So let's interpret that as a question about... Uh, we all agree there's there's a fairly strong chance we'll go down. 
let's assume that we will. What do we think our prospects are if we do? That's how I interpret his question. If if Bruce stays and we and he if Bruce stays, I reckon we'll get around about the playoffs, but we won't come back up. Okay, that's fair. That's a that sounds like a credible proposition to me, Paul. I think top two. I think we've top done two. it. We've done it before with squads. I mean, this squad at the moment is sort of a better suited squad for the championship than either of the ones last time we went down. And the spirit still seems to be there. The dressing room still seems largely together. That's a. Um, I agree with that, but there's a. So one way of interpreting that would be that better suited to the championship would suggest worse players. <laughs> that's, that's another way. Of well, no, I mean, I think we'd have a core that would be really strong in the championship. Lascelles would possibly go, but I could see him staying. You look at like Kieran Clark, Matt Ritchie. I don't think anyone's going to buy Shelby, Hayden, possibly Dwight Gale. I, I don't know. Sure, I don't. All those players are a bit older than the last time they played in the championship. They're, yeah. I mean, Dwight, Dwight Gale. Next yeah, but then you've got the Longstaff brothers as well. There's a lot of, I think we'd have a good mix of experience and youth that would be suited to the championship. I don't think we've got that many players. I mean, the obvious ones that would be sold would be St. Maxim and Almiron, Wilson. But I think you look at, the first time we were relegated under Mike Ashley, we went down with a mid-table Premier League side and we came back up. And, you know, I'm not taking anything away from, from Hewton. I just think that the, the squad that went down there were just streets ahead of everybody else in that league. And this, the time that we went down um, and Benitez was in charge, we had uh, almost like a custom-built promotion team based on the sales of Sissoko, Vinaldum, et cetera, et cetera, and, and Rafa Benitez in charge. If we go down this time, we've got a relegation candidate squad with a far worse manager. And I don't think that Bruce is... I mean, he, he had the most expensively assembled Aston Villa side and he could only get them to the playoffs. It was... He's not. He's not a good manager. He's. Okay. He's. Well, the, the, all right. Well, we're all agree on that. But the um, the positive is that all three of us seem to think we're quibbling over whether it's playoffs or automatic promotion. So the positive. At least we'll see is, some wins if we're right. Yeah, but we. I think we all agree that we'll see more wins than we've seen this season. Should it happen? But we will see. And who knows whether Bruce will stay? Who knows? Uh, Rob Farkson says, which of our current squad would you most like to take over as player manager next February when with fifth from bottom of the championship, there's a less optimistic man? And Bruce fucks off for that sweet, sweet Salford City coin. Um, okay, so yeah. Which of our squad player manager? Um... Ooh. There's no sort of like... Andy Carroll would be an interesting shout. <laughs> okay. I want to play a manager who's not going to play very often. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Lascelles um, would be your sort of... I could see Lascelles becoming a bit of a Steve Bruce-style manager. Lascelles is all about... Passion. Heart. Passion yeah. and all of that. Matt Ritchie, um, I think, would be a good shout. Just he, oh, just for the hates to lose. Yeah, all just for the post-match game. press conference. It just, yeah. it just again, it's just like oh, we, we've lost another game. I, I just need to shout louder in my team talk. Not <laughs> to shout louder. I, th- I think you mean I just need to shout louder in my yeah. team talk. <laughs> Come yeah, on, show some respect. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say that. Who is? Who do we think? This is the question. Who in our squad? There's no way of knowing. Who do we think might be secretly uh, hiding an in-depth knowledge of tactics and hardcore leadership skills? Who's our player who we're going to is going to go on to be like 
they, well, they're going to say, well, he had a very unremarkable career as a player, but now he, he's won three Champions League trophies. Who is that? Dave got a, a, a suggestion. Go on. Christian Atsu. Christian Atsu. Maybe. Who knows? This we, is the thing. Henri Saive. Henri Saive. Henri Saive. Could be. Like, there's no reason. He could be our. Henri Saive has had plenty of time to study the game. Exactly. He's had no football to distract him. He's been able to focus solely on, on the tactics. Exactly. It's, He's been able to observe all of the. Um, everything that's gone, all of the mistakes that have been made, all of the, um, how each player responds to um, different things. Always mm. like, hey, bring him in now, player manager, great shout. The ones who I think would most likely become good managers, probably, I don't know why, Isaac Hayden and Federico Fernandez. Mm. Okay. I would also say Kieran Clark, but yeah. What was your other one? Kieran Clark. I just think centre-halves seem to, like, in my head, based on nothing at all, I, I just believe that they'd make a better manager than a tricky winger. Steve yeah. I mean, one thing I'll say about having spoken about the, the Villa game, um, they, it, it's true that without Grealish and just in general, they are nowhere near as good a side as they were a few months ago. I was still pretty impressed by their defence. Uh, yeah. Very well drilled by, one would assume, John Terry. Um, Although I was slightly less impressed with Tyrone Mings being beaten all ends up throughout the game by Joe Linton. That was mm. one thing that was... On his birthday as well. Oh. Joe Linton's or Tyrone Mings? Tyrone Mings. Oh. I didn't get... I forgot. <laughs> Thomas Burkan says how many points do you, th- do you think will be enough to avoid relegation and where do you think these those points will come from given we still play four of the big six plus in form and he's put big six in quotation marks there plus in form uh, Leicester and West Ham I mean it's a fair point yes that we are in competition for relegation with teams who are also uh, on poor form. But, you know, a couple of... We've just played three games against sides who you would have hoped that at least one of them we would have got three points against. We've now got Brighton away coming up. Once you take that Brighton game out of the equation, you start to wonder where the points are going to come from. We've got Spurs at home... We've got Burnley away. You'd say that's a possibility, but, you know, is that a better opportunity? It's certainly, well, nothing is for us. I mean, Burnley away is, is is that a better opportunity for three points than West Brom away and Sheffield United away? No. Um, West Ham at home. West Ham, they might be dropping off a little, but they're having a great season. That's one that I feel like we'll win, but I've got no reason for... Sure. I, I hope you're right. We have beaten them once this season. They were a completely different side, but we have done well against West Ham a few times in the recent years. I mean, the thing is, it's all, it's all going to depend on Fulham, really, isn't it? Every, I've been looking at Fulham's fixtures about eight times a day at the minute, and I flip between thinking they could get four more points or they could get 15 more points. Sure. I mean, that's the same with us, right? I mean, we've got we've got Liverpool away, who, this, I mean, this season that's a banker at the moment. The last couple of months, yeah. that is like the easiest fixture fixture in European football is to play Liverpool away. But um, you would have thought they'll have turned that around by the time we face them. Fulham, they're yes, they're playing a number of games that they should lose. But they look like a side to me at the moment who are more likely to win a game that they shouldn't than we do, if you see what mm-hmm. I'm saying. But we do have players coming back. So, yeah. Maybe so the, one the positive about our form is that we've had our three best players out and not dropped, uh, not 
lost things. But the problem is yeah. those players coming back, I mean, hopefully, I mean, we've got Brighton away. We don't think any of them will be back for that. Possibly Almiron might be, but not likely. And then we've got Spurs at home. That's after the international break, so we should have at least... Okay, so we'll, two yeah, it's the international break. So we're hoping after the international break, Spurs at home, we might have some big players back. Because then after Burnley away, we've got a string of games that no matter what our side, our, our lineup is, we've got West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester and Man City. I mean, going on squad versus squad... We should lose every one of those. But then going on squad versus squad, you'd say the same for like Brighton when they face Man U, Everton, Chelsea in the next three. You know what I mean? Like it's well, yeah, it's, sure. I, I get just, your I, point. No, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying that. So to answer the question of the thing, how how many points to survive? I would say it's it's not going to be forty odd. It's going to be thirty eight, thirty nine. I don't agree with Paul saying that. Like it's. It's like us or Fulham, I think, to be honest. I think Brighton are, because of their, their struggles to score goals, and if they then go on to like, I mean, they come up against, like I say, Man U, Everton and Chelsea. If they lose all three of those, that will, you know, impact their confidence and yeah. all the rest of it. And and then you, if if they lose those three and we can pick up like three or four points from the next three or three, four games, then you've got to say that Brighton are, are more likely to go down than, than us or Fulham. Um, so I'm just, I reckon it's going to take 39 points to survive and I can see us getting 39 points, um, like maybe a point from Tottenham, maybe a three from Burnley, a point against West Ham, three points against Sheffield, one point against Fulham, I could see us getting that. I, I think, I think see, the, you know the game I mean? against Brighton is is huge. I think I mm. I do put it between us and Fulham. I, don't, I certainly don't discount Brighton, but I think of the three of us, they've got the biggest chance of survival. I, I think I just feel like they'll find a way, and I know that's because partly because they're the most recent side to win. But if we don't, uh, so we're about to play Brighton away. They've already beaten us this season. Of those three big games you've said they've got coming up, and one of them is against Everton, who are, as we have proven this season, are a very beatable side. Mm. Um, but uh, let's talk about this game against Brighton. If we win that, I, I can't. I, this is where I stand. I currently put us 50-50 chance of going down. I'd say that's a lot more optimistic than most Newcastle fans have it. But that's where I put us, 50-50. If we lose to Brighton, or even if we don't win against Brighton, for me, that jumps to a two out of three chance that we go down. It depends on Fulham against Leeds as well. I think like we can still lose to Brighton and stay up. That's not... Of course we can. the realms of possibility. No, I mean, Dep- I'm saying... It depends like, how I- things click into gear when we are full strength again. Because when we're full strength again, I could I could look at those uh, those teams who are currently in form, like West Ham, Liverpool, uh, West Ham, Arsenal, Leicester, and by that point they may not be in form. They might have lost a couple of players, and if we've got our best players back, I could see us beating Arsenal. I could see us beating West Ham. I could see us beating Leicester, just because the when we you've got to put yourself in that position rather than the position we're in now where the last three games we haven't played particularly well because we've been missing our top you know our top players so i've got uh, another another question here from uh, the other, the ever faithful reverend joe Kinsella. he says um, what's the most momentous nufc goal you have ever seen not necessarily the best the one that meant the most. Sorry, I should have allowed you to prepare for this question. Uh, he also says, uh, what's the best goal you have ever scored yourself? Mine was a 400-yard, okay, 25-yard volley into the top corner in a college game that meant nothing. 
Nice. I don't have anything like that in my locker. Um, I think most momentous Newcastle goal I've ever seen, even though it was underwhelming and a friendly, was Shearer's first goal. So we're talking about in person. Yes, you saw it um, against Lincoln. Yeah. I'd say that or the Rob Lee uh, FA Cup semi-final one. I'd say Shearer's um, record breaker against Portsmouth. Um, two hundred and sixth goal, um, or was it? Two? Anyway, the one where he broke Jackie Milburn's record, um, ball over the top, Amiobi back heels it, Shearer runs onto it, well lumbers onto it really because his pace had completely gone. The whole Gallagher end because it was at the Gallagher. The whole wait, Gallagher wait, wait, end. You snap. This was in your season ticket holding years. Did you were yeah. you in the Gallagher, Dave? Yes, yeah, sat next to my dad. And the whole Gallagher end, I've never heard like such a, like, you could feel the electricity as the ball got closer to the, the net. We were all praying for him to get it because there'd been a few games beforehand where he'd had opportunities and missed them. God, when the noise, like it's giving me like goosebumps just thinking about it. That was, yeah, it's something me and my dad still talk about to this day. Was that, that under Ruder as well? Now we're in. I, I feel like it was under Sunes, but I might be wrong. So, um, uh, my for me personally, in person. I mean, I'm. I don't. I'm not fortunate enough to be uh, like Dave, having having a, a season ticket holder. But I, I did see uh, Ben Arthur's first goal for us against Everton away. I think water. another one. That me and you were both at one that me and you were both at Fergus. Let's not forget Emmanuel Rubier. <laughs> oh yeah, we did see Emmanuel Rubier. Palace away, right? Yeah, we did see Emmanuel Rubier score. We also were in the ground, but didn't see Sammy Obi Amiobi score. Yeah, against Spurs. Against Spurs, was it? Oh, one of my most enjoyable was seeing was sitting with the Spurs fans on my own and seeing uh, Perez win it for us in injury time. Oh, lovely. That was enormously enjoyable. It was just, I really enjoyed it, just being amongst them. I just loved it. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And, and any particular goals that you've scored yourselves? I know no, you, like, neither of you had particularly impressive careers. No, um, like, No. No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could tell some shit anecdotes, but no, I won't. I won't bore you with it. Okay. Andy Sheldon. I mean, that's not implying. That's not to me. I could to say that I've scored any good goals, but here we go. Andy Sheldon says, "Who do we need to replace Bruce with to ensure our survival? Given any new gaffer will be stuck with the same injury-riddled and unhappy squad. No one say Graham Jones. No one say Graham Jones. No one say Graham Jones. That's what I'm saying." I don't know if we necessarily do have an unhappy squad. And after watching the Villa game, you feel like someone like Harry Redknapp could come in and just say, put Dwight Gale up front, put Ryan (laughs) Fraser on the wing. Wow, that worked. (laughs) I don't think it takes rocket science at the minute. It is sort of true. I I do feel like, didn't Venables do it? Like Leeds, I do feel like we brought, I I don't think that went well. I do no, think went we're down. in Redknapp now. That would actually uh, <laughs> probably work. That would work. End of the season. Harry Redknapp. Just, Graham yeah. Jones doing all the coaching. Harry Redknapp playing players in the position they've played for their careers. Harry Redknapp coming in with a bit of pizzazz. Probably drinking probably. white wine from lunch onwards. Yeah, dressed like Frank Sinatra. I'd take it. Absolutely. Paul M says, uh, might we be celebrating getting to the Calzone Cup in a couple of years, passing the unwashed on the way? Do we think we're going are we candidates for a, a Sunderland style descent? No. We've discussed no. this in the last part, haven't we? No, the the reason I mean the reason that they went down, they had a double relegation is because not only did they uh um have a, a 
pretty average manager. Um, they sold their top goal scorers. They like got rid of loads of the, the important players and they had like a pretty rotten core of players anyway. Um, they consistently weakened their position throughout the years in the Premier League. So that's why they went down twice. We'll be fine. Why are you two fucking laughing? Actually, no, I think you did on Fergus's screen. He put his laptop down and then started holding his chest. I thought he was having a heart attack, but not <laughs> saying anything to keep the pod going. I just, I just had some uh, indigestion. Trying to dis- disguise from the listeners. Um, John Tilly says, uh, "Do you guys remember when Ashley took Benitez and the squad to that Italian restaurant?" Do you, yes. do you remember that happened? Mm-hmm. And where do you think Bruce would be taking them now if he could? Needs a fireplace for Ashley, obviously. What what is Bruce's restaurant? And Greg's. Greg's. Yeah, I was say, do, do ginsters do cafes or restaurants? I feel like Bruce has enough sort of. I feel like he has ambition. You know, like. A, he he wants to to be a classier man than he is. Do you know what I mean? This is this is a man who's written novels, <laughs> like which we genuinely if you all don't know that this has been well covered by other pe- people. But Steve Bruce has written literature. I think he's sort of he's the sort of person who will like take the squad through some windy streets to say, I know a lovely little place. Trust me, it's they do incredible. And it, they'll get there and it'll be a strada. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like... Bella Italia. Yeah. I think... Yeah. I think he'd do yeah. fish and chips by the sea or, like, lockdown park cans. Was it... I think when it was in the... Um, the, the West Brom game, it was on Amazon. And mm. Ali McCoy was doing co-commentary. And he was talking about what a great guy Sam Allardyce was. And he's like, we, we were on uh, pre-season in Australia and Sam Allardyce was with whatever club he was with. And uh, we met up for uh, a meal in Sydney. Oh, the things I could tell you about that night. Oh, it's just like, <laughs> just, it was just like, you just, the impression he was giving was just like, when you go out for a night with Sam Allardyce, you get so drunk. <laughs> that was the, the idea that all the, you know, they weren't players. They could drink and eat as much as they like. And if you go out with Sam Allardyce, oof, only the best red meat. The man drinks pints of wine, for God's sake. Exactly. I mean, I went through phases at university where you, you drank to excess, but I don't think I ever got to the pint of wine stage. Oh, you've not lived. The question is, is, do you drink, does he drink pints of wine at the same pace that you drink pints of beer? Or has he just decided that that's the most efficient receptacle? Is it just, he'll drink a pint of wine over the course of an evening? Or does he have a tap? <laughs> just pulling pints of wine. Yeah. A couple of pints no. in the pub, then yeah. home. <laughs> then drive home. <laughs> All right. So, um, Let's we've, we're kind of talking about the Brighton game. We've already played them once this season in what was a candidate for our, our worst performance, if not our biggest humiliation of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, it went defensively appalling. They beat us very early on. It was the performance that made everyone put uh, Lamptey into their fantasy football team. And only to realise, no, he's good, but not as he good. Still as, plays for Brighton. Not as good as Jamal Lewis's shit. Yeah. Um, the the positive will be that it would seem that Jamal Lewis won't be at left back for that game. Yeah, and Lamptey won't be playing either. And Lamptey mm-hmm. won't be playing either. But we we are. De- yeah, I meant to say this before. We are destroying not only our own youth players, but Norwich's as well. Now. <laughs> Jacob Murphy and Jamal Lewis. Um, but yes, Brighton. Anything you want to say quickly about that? Any predictions? 
I think there are, even though we seem to have a, they feel a bit like a bogey team, especially Brighton away is always shit. But have you seen how many home games they've won this season? How many is it, Paul? One. That's only one more home game at the Amex than I've won this season, <laughs> to put that into context. Wow. Um, Dave? Uh, I don't think we'll win because I don't think I don't think there's going to be many goals in it and I don't think we'll keep them out. I think it'll be 1-1. Okay, yeah. I mean, we will, that which would be make it four draw, draws in a row for us. Mm. Do you think there'll be any change in the formation? Um, in the personnel, maybe, but not the formation and, and ethos, as you, you said a couple of pods ago. I think it'll be the same setup, roughly, but we might keep Gale in the centre and shuffle Fraser out to the, the left side of that split striker thing I think there might be a selection as well I mean I'd like to see Carol get a start that's the idea that Jacob Murphy might not start against Brighton is so absurd to me I did, I, did. I feel like he has to come in I wouldn't be against Murphy and uh, what's his name Ryan Fraser on the wings, Carol in the middle. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. But I wouldn't be against... I don't think you have to play a striker. A lot of clubs don't play strikers anymore. It's not I don't. It's not that we've got... If Wilson's still injured, which he is, it's not like we've got a striker who's guaranteed goals out there. I don't, I don't feel like you... Yeah, but I think if you've got Dwight Gale, who is a poacher, then... It makes sense to play him rather than play yeah. somebody like Joe Linton, who doesn't score goals, uh, yeah. Ryan Fraser, who provides sure. assists. Give me yeah. whatever formation and whatever selection <laughs> that puts Jacob Murphy in the side, and I'll be happy. I mean, Jesus Christ! Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have Murphy if, if for no other reason that he runs at players and provides crosses. I don't care if he's providing crosses and Joe Linton's chugging along at the halfway line and not there. It's still going to cause a bit of um, confusion. It's still going to be a threat. It might win us some corners. It, he might like have a dig and get it the right side of the bar. I don't know. I think he has to start. Yeah, I'd start. I think of... Go on, sorry, Dave. I was just going to say, I'd even start my head of Fraser, to be honest. But, like, if, if, if you. First name on the team sheet. First name on the team. I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. I, but think, I think Brighton as well are very. Brighton are very susceptible to counterattacks. Do so you imagine Murphy and Fraser stretching their defence on a counter? You'd want Gale in the middle on that. I think there's no. Sure. Joe Linton can't start for me. No. I'd, I'd, I'd have. Willock, um, Fraser, Gale, and Murphy as like the attacking unit, and mm. I'd have you know Shelby, Hayden, and the rest of them at the back. And the idea is let them pass around, and then as soon as you get the ball, go hit the corners or drive through the middle, whichever it is. That's that's what I would do. But then. We've got Steve Bruce in charge. So we'll start with Emil Kraft. We'll start with Joe Linton. We'll play Gale on the left flank and we'll play Andy Carroll on the right. I think we're going to have a very spawny 1-0 and Dubravka is going to have a very good game. You, you think we're going to win that one? Yeah, for no reason. Okay, well, I hope you're right. Um, I suppose I should predict something. I think 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one, I think, as well. I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. I don't remember what we predicted last week, but anyway, there we go. We, have, we all had draws, I think. Me and Dave mm. did. Okay. I think Dave yep. got it bang on. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's leave it there. The Zoom meeting is about to finish, so uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Paul Doolan. Thank you. Thank you, Dave Watson. Thanks, guys. And thank you to you, the Newcastle Natter listener. Goodbye. Thanks, Graham Jones.
This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.